My name is Pastor Nick Newman. I want to say good morning and welcome to every single person who is joining us this morning. Uh, we are so excited that you're here, and I'm excited because today uh, I'm not communicating with you. You have the privilege of listening to one of my favorite communicators on the planet. I got to be honest, I'm a little biased um, when it comes to, to her because she's my wife, um, but Here's what we know, man. I've, I've watched my wife grow, and, and when you plant a church, um, every successful church planter has an incredible spouse behind them. And I believe that God has done uh, so many things in the life of this church, but it's been built on her sacrifices and her willingness to uh, say yes to the call alongside of me. And so uh, today, as you uh, get to hear um, from God's word, I would encourage you to amen louder than ever. If she tells a joke and it's not funny, you still laugh. You know, come on. Um, but I believe that God has a really specific word for you in this season, and uh, I couldn't think of a better person to deliver it. So won't you help me welcome to the stage, Tori Newman. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. Um, I am so excited, you guys to teach to you today. Um, again, we just want to say welcome. If you're here for the first time, we would love to connect with you. If you're in person, you can stop by the New, new Here Lounge. If you're online, you can go to propel.church slash hub. And if you are joining us online, we're so excited that you're here with us today. You are just as much a part of this church as the people that are sitting in these seats. So everybody here who's in person, can you help me welcome those who are joining us online? We are so, so pumped, um, and we're right now in the middle of a series. This is week two of our series called Take Courage. Um, we are in this series going through, talking about four different um, biblical characters in the Bible. Last week, Pastor Nick talked about a man named Stephen, and he taught about how God takes ordinary people and uses them to do extraordinary things. And man, am I so glad that God takes the ordinary to use it for the extraordinary. And, um, and today, um, I'm going to be talking about a man named Caleb. We're going to be in the Old Testament, uh, which is my favorite. If you, you know, look through the trends of my teachings, I'm 90% Old Testament because uh, I believe, yeah, it's the Old Testament and we're in the New Covenant. But, man, there's so much still to learn about God and his people in the Old Testament that is still applicable to us today. Um, and the title of my message today is Taking a Stand. So we're in this series called Take Courage, and here we're going to read about a man who took a stand with God, specifically when it seems like no one else was standing with him. Y'all ever been there where you feel like you are standing for what's right, but you feel like you are doing it alone? Well, that's Caleb. Um, but before we jump into his story, I just kind of want to recap you a little bit about what's been going on um, and I'm going to start actually like 500 years before what's happening right now. So God called this man named Abram. He later changed his name to Abraham. He said, hey, I want you to leave where you're at now and go to the land that I'm calling you. I have promised this land to you for not just you but for generations to come. I'm also going to bless you. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. The problem was Abram at the time 
time was like 80 years old. So his time of childbearing was over. His wife was 70 at that time, and they're making their way to this land, but they're trusting in God's promise that not only is he going to bring them to where he called them, but he's going to bring the promise of descendants. So years later, they have a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. God later changes Jacob's name to Israel. These become the 12 sons of Israel. Now, I believe Israel made a mistake. He, uh, he had a favorite son. Parents out there, it's not a good idea to have a favorite child <laughs> because all of his older siblings hated it for him. So much so, they sold him into slavery. That's how much they hated him. But in that time, Joseph said, you know what? What man meant for evil, God intended for good. And I'm going to take every opportunity possible to trust in God, even though everything crazy is happening around me. And God used Joseph to not only in every circumstance, but eventually he became second in command in Egypt, was able to save Egypt, the surrounding countries, and bring his family into Egypt from a famine that hit the land and destroyed nations around him. But where Joseph was, was right where God wanted him to be, and he was able to save his family. So all of the children of Israel are now in Egypt, they end up spending about 400 years there, first by choice, then by force, because there came a pharaoh who didn't know who Joseph was and thought, man, there are a lot of them. I don't want anything to happen, so we're going to force them into manual labor. The Israelites cried out to their God. He sent a man named Moses to deliver him through signs and wonders out of the great nation of Egypt, brought them out and said, okay, you remember this land that I promised to your father, Abraham, I'm going to bring you to it. So that's where we are right now. So they get there and you're like, okay, it's been like 40 years. It's not actually because that'll happen later. So the Israelites end up wandering in the desert for 40 years, but this is actually about an 11 day journey that this happens, where they finally get to the promised land. They are there, they have made it. And Moses, like any good leader, decides he wants to do his research. How many of you guys know before you enter into a relationship or a job, you are doing some internet searching, right? Some of you guys are better at Facebook stalking than the FBI, and that's okay. (laughs) You're going to do your research. So Moses sends 12 men, one from each tribe, into the land of Canaan, the promised land, to scout out. Hey, go tell us what the land looks like. Go tell us, you know, what kind of people are there. Are, is, it, is it what God said it was going to be? Is it, is it a land flowing with milk and honey, which are the words God used to describe this land, meaning that the soil was rich and good, and, and come back in 40 days and let us know how things are. So 12 men go in, 12 men come back out after 40 days, and this is what it says in Numbers chapter 13, verses 27 through 30. It says, this was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. There's confirmation of God's promise right there. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Here is the kind of fruit it produces. Y'all, they had some melon-sized grapes. They carried them on a pole between two men because that's how big 
and how fruitful the produce of the land was. And then there's this next word, which negates everything that they've just said. And it's this word, but. We went to the land and it is good, but the people living there are powerful and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. The Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and along the Jordan Valley. But Caleb, here's where we meet our guy today. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before people. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. So that's where we are right now. Twelve men go out, and it turns out that Caleb is not alone. He's got one other guy that went in. His name is Joshua. We'll meet him in just a little bit. So 12 men go in. They all see the same things. They all came out of Egypt and saw what God did for them there, and they're all entering this land to scout out. And 10 of them have one view, and two of them have another. And the 10 are like, no, we're going to die. And the two are like, no, God is with us. And the 10 begin to spread bad rumors to out all of Israel to try and get them to not go into this land that God has promised them. And we pick up back in the story in Numbers chapter 14, verse 6. It says this, two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. I don't know about you, but I have never been so upset to tear my clothes. But these guys right here are like, what are you doing? So upset. They tear their clothing. They say to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. There's that promise again. Do not rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. The first thing that I have for you today, as you're taking a stand with God, and it feels like you are alone, is this. You are never alone when you're standing with God. I can, I can just imagine Caleb and Joshua could have chosen to feel alone in that moment, but they knew who they were standing with when they made that decision. Oftentimes in our life, we have to choose between what is right and what is easy. We face these hard decisions in our life. We may know what God has said in his word and what he has said to us, but taking a stand often feels like we're standing alone. But let me assure you of this. You are never alone when you're standing with God. Check out what Second Chronicles 32 says. Be strong and courageous, a.k.a. take courage. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria or his mighty army. For there is a power far greater on our side. He may have a great army, but they are merely men. 
We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. Hezekiah's words greatly encouraged the people. And you're like, hang on, we're talking about Caleb. Who's Hezekiah? Come back next week. We're actually going to talk about him. <laughs> but in that, in that moment, what I want you to hear from that is that, look, everything else around you, they're just people. We've got God on our side. We're not alone in those moments. God is there to help fight our battles for us. We don't have to be afraid. We can take courage in those moments where we feel like everything is against us. I can just imagine Caleb in this moment, like, pleading with the Israelites. Like, we just came out of Egypt. Literally, it's been like 10 days. Do you, did you forget already? that God brought us out of there? Did you forget that we were literally whipped for days on days on days and forced labor and God delivered us out of that? Did you already forget? Look, if he can bring us out of Egypt, he can bring us through anything. That's the God that we serve. And he's trying to remind the people of this. But look what it says at the first part of verse 10. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. <sighs> they, they took no notice of what Caleb was saying to them. And they said, no, you're going to get us killed. We're so afraid. So we're going to take care of you, and then we can just move on with our lives. And then God comes into the picture and then it says that he comes down smoke in the tabernacle, surrounds it, and he goes and he speaks to Moses. And he is like, what are they doing? I always want to, like, shake the Israelites and be like, why do you not listen? And then I remember that sometimes I'm like that too. So, uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, but, but God's like, I'm so done with them. I'm so done with them. He knows it's going to be a hard journey. And he's, he, he tells Moses, he's like, I should, just, I should just kill them all. We should just start over. And Moses is like, no, no, no. God's like, no, I'm not actually going to do that. I would like to, but I'm not going to. And, um, and so instead he says, all right, that's fine. Like we, we're going to keep these people because obviously God's not going to bring people out of Egypt to let them all die right there before they enter the promised land. And he says, but this generation that's right here, I can't let them enter into my promise because they're not with me and I need them to be with me. And so instead of letting them enter right now, I'm actually going to have them wander for 40 days or for 40 years, one year for each day. So 40 years until every single one of that generation has died off, except for this in Numbers 14:24, And he says, but... Again, negating everything over here. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Do you hear what God said about Caleb? He has a different attitude than the rest. He wasn't afraid of what was around him because he knew who was behind him and on his side and fighting for him. So it wasn't a lot for him to take a stand because he knew who, who had his back. He knew who was on his side. The second thing that I have for you today is that standing on God's word may not put you in good standings with people, 
but it will always put you in right standings with God. The people were ready to stone him, but God was not only willing to save him in that moment, but also prepare for him in the future and reward him for that. See, and the hard part about taking a stand is, is not against people who are against us, right? You can definitely tell that um, the difference between like those hard lines of right and wrong, but it's when, when our friends and our family are against us that it's hard to take a stand and do what's right. There is a, there's a quote from one of uh, my favorite um, fandoms, Harry Potter. Um, y'all, can, y'all can send emails about that to in Newman at propel.church if you have a problem with that. Um, <laughs> but uh, toward the very end of, of the first one, uh, the headmaster gets up and he says, there's all kinds of courage. It takes a great deal of courage and bravery to stand up to your enemies but just as much to stand up to your friends. It's so easy when the lines are so clear of what's right and what's wrong, but what's difficult is when you know what God said, but everybody around you, those closest to you are not, all, are not following that. When, when your friends are all like, oh, we're gonna go to this party, and you're like, no. But they're like, come on, it's really okay. We're all going. We're all doing this. Everybody's already doing it. What does it really matter? It matters because because of where God has positioned you. Because he's not called you to be of the world. He's called you to be in it. To be in and not of. To Yes, we are here and we are here for a time but we are not to be of the world, to have the same mind as those around us. We have a higher calling to that than what is there. And making the choice to stand with God, I'm gonna tell you right now, you're gonna lose friends, you're gonna lose family, you're gonna lose jobs, you're gonna lose opportunities, and so much more. But make the choice anyway. Because you, I can guarantee it, because this is true for my life. I would rather be wrong in the eyes of people and on God's side than right in people's eyes but against God. I don't want to stand against him because <laughs> I've, I've seen what he can do, and I know that what he has for me for the future is better than anything temporary. And the third thing I have for you is that the rewards for the decisions we make are not always instant, but they are always worth it. Every single time, you have to be able to forgo the temporary praise of man for the eternal promises of God. They're not instantaneous. They're going to take time. But you know why they're going to take time? Because they're of God. Because they're the best. They're not just, well, that's good enough for now. They're not, nope, no, because just good enough is not good enough for God. He has so much more in store for you. He's got the best, and the best takes a little more time. And it's not this temporary, oh, this was great this one moment, and then I wake up tomorrow and I feel empty again. It's not like that with God. Because you get to make a decision and a choice 
in a moment that will help dictate the rest of your life. So what happened to Caleb? We, we jump over to Joshua chapter 14. We were in Numbers. We're going to jump two whole books of the Bible till we get back to him and to see what happens. But starting in verse 6, it says this. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report But my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant land and that of your descendants forever. Because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness, today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. So there's, there's two things in here. It's the wholehearted following of God. That's important. That's most important here. Because it, without that, Caleb wouldn't have got it. It wasn't just a, just a passive following of God. No, it was wholeheartedly. He gave an honest report. Even though everybody else around him said, no, no, it's going to be too hard. No, we don't, we don't really want to do that. No, let's, <laughs> let's not. But again, We've got to be willing to forgo the, the instant praise of men for God's lasting promises. And the second thing is that, that the stand that Caleb took wasn't just about his present, but it was also about his future. You see, because taking a stand is not just about your present, it's mostly about your future. I would say it's all about your future. And, and if you think for one second that you go through anything just for you, I can promise you you're wrong. The things that we go through in our lives, I think if we, if we don't ter- turn around, if I, if I go through things in my life and God teaches me things and I don't turn around and ter- teach them to somebody else, man, how incredibly selfish am I to keep the wisdom that God has given me in my life. And so I want to talk a little bit about, about my story. Um, I grew up in an incredible Christian household. My parents loved and followed God and still do. Um, 
from the very beginning of my birth all the way to now and they will till the day that they go to see him. But one of the things I remember watching them growing up from a really young age is the difference between their relationship with each other and a lot of the other parents that I watched of my friends, mostly from school. Um, I'll say this, uh, whenever one of them would come home, my brothers and I would leave the living room because they gross, they love each other too much. <laughs> but I noticed, man, they've got something that, that a lot of other people don't have. And whatever they have been doing, I want to do that because I want my kids to see what I saw, even though I was like super grossed out. <laughs> And so as I begin listening and, and learning, and if y'all don't think that kids pay attention, they do, uh, because this impacted a decision that I made when I was six. And I, and I learned a number of things about my parents and that they, had, they were wholeheartedly following God, like they were after his heart, that they had made a decision. They were going to remain pure until marriage. But not only that, they made another decision that they didn't even kiss until their wedding day. And that was something that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know was a thing. Like you're watching TV and movies, that was always like the thing that happened before the wedding. You know, the Prince Charming comes and wakes Sleeping Beauty up with a kiss. Like, that was something that I saw prior to marriage and grew up thinking that's what it was. But, but then looking at my parents and seeing the way that they lived that, I felt God pressing on my heart that those were the things that I was supposed to do too. Um, I was six years old the first time a boy asked to kiss me, which I think is ridiculous. First off, I was in kindergarten Ain't nobody should be asking nobody to kiss them in kindergarten. But I don't have time to get on that soapbox. Um, but it was something that I, I felt like, man, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also take it a step further because I felt like God impressed it on my heart, even at six years old. And, and I made that decision, and it carried on with me through the rest of elementary school, through middle school, through high school, until... Until I got married. And y'all, I get to reap those benefits of a decision that I made 20 plus years ago. Come on. Come on. But the decision that I made when I was six, I didn't see the completion of for 15 years. 15 years. I trusted God with the decision. And I was like, I don't see anybody else around here doing this. But I'm going to trust in you because taking a stand is not just about your present it's mostly about your future because the decisions that you and I make today impact our tomorrow and I've, I've been challenged in my thinking through things that I listen to of man you know know where you're going and if what you do today does not take you to where you're going don't do it the decisions that you make will impact tomorrow. For example, I've been trying to uh, eat healthier, to lose weight, and to get on track to make sure like I am I'm healthy. I've really felt that these last couple of years, but, um, but the cheeseburger fry and milkshake that I eat today is not helping me on that journey. <laughs> it may mean that I'm forgoing a, a temporary pleasure, but I know 
that for me to be healthy, today I'm gonna choose to eat a salad instead. Or I'm gonna have the grilled chicken instead of, of the fried. Or the hardest decision for me is that Chick-fil-A, because they have some great waffle fries, but I know that a fruit cup is better. And I love sweet tea, but, uh, but I should drink more water. Those decisions that I'm making today are the ones that impact my tomorrow. Did I know at age six that the decision that I was making to follow Jesus, to stay pure till marriage, to not kiss until marriage, were gonna impact my future? No, I was six. Did Caleb know that the decision to take a stand, God was gonna reward with land? I don't think so. I don't think he knew that in that moment, but he knew, hey, I need to trust God with this. And so while I didn't know when I was six, I know now that those decisions that I make in my life impact my future, but not just my future, the future of those around me. They're gonna impact my children and their children and their children. And they're not just gonna impact my family, my physical family, but also my spiritual family. Those that I have the ability and the honor to walk alongside and mentor and pour into, my decisions impact them as well. And so, yeah, do I want God's best for my life? Yes, why? Because I want God's best for my life. But it's twofold because I also want God's best for their lives, for those that I'm, I'm raising up to be the next leaders. I want God's best for their life too. And, and Caleb, I don't think was thinking about his future then, but it impacted it. It impacted it. And parents, I think you guys know it best that it's, it's easier to make a decision when you know it's gonna impact your kids. You think about it more carefully. You, you weigh out all of the options because you know it's gonna have an impact of the next generation. And so Caleb in this moment, Maybe he knew he was gonna be rewarded, maybe he didn't, but he knew God. He knew who God was and he trusted in God's promises because he saw, man, God, you brought us out here and you're that same God that brought us out of Egypt, which means you're gonna bring us into fruition and into the promised land and yeah, all right, I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna tell the truth and I, I may or may not know what, what it costs me today, but it gives me everything tomorrow. He, he was rewarded and not just him, but his descendants and their children and their children and on and on and on, they got to occupy this land because of a decision that Caleb made to take a stand. See, taking courage is not, it's not about being free of fear. It's not, because there will always be things that we're afraid of. 
Taking courage is about putting your faith and trust in God instead of the things that you fear. But I'll be honest, you can't take a stand with God if he's not a part of your life. And so right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, that's me today, and I want to take a stand for God, and I haven't before, but I'm, I want to now, would you just lift your hand? I see this. I'm not going to embarrass you or, or make you pray by yourself. In fact, we don't think anybody should ever pray alone, so we're all going to pray together. Would you just repeat after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you guys stand and celebrate with those who made decisions for Jesus? And um, I've got one more prayer. I actually wanna pray over you because for some of you, you you've, you're walking with, with God, but it's hard to make those decisions. It's hard to take a stand. And so I just want to pray and impart God's courage and strength over your life. So would you do me a favor and just hold your hands like this. God, right now, I thank you for each and every person that is here today, whether in this room, joining us online or later years down the road. God, you have called them as your children to take a stand for what you have said in your word and what you have said to them. I just pray, God, for your strength and your love and your mercy and your grace and your courage and your boldness to be upon their life. That every time they face something, they would remember that it's not how many are against them, but how many are for them. And that you, God, stand beside them, behind them. You go before them in all circumstances. And they can have the strength and the courage to take on anything, God, because you are with them. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.